I'm just going to record it. I'm going to record it and just hope that that exercises it from my brain because I, I swear to God, my brain just won't stop ticking away on this fucking song. Get, uh, get on with it. Fucking get on with it. I, I am... I am swinging from a seven-story window Throwing parties in a ten-by-seven cell It's astounding the legs I'll go To convince the whole damn world I don't need anybody's help Yeah, I am waving while I drown Don't bother swimming at it to save me I will only drag you down I'll try to use your body as a life raft Cause if there's room enough for one there I'll sail the good ship you into the sunset Sipping on savory waters of my liver turns blue Put down your pens, put down your pencils, step away from the keyboards and settle in for this week's episode of the Writer's Block. Uh, Today I'm very excited to, uh, actually first, doing things all out of order already today. Uh, First and foremost, let me thank Low Tide Cava Bar for the cava that I'm drinking on today's episode. Also, thank you to Muddied Waters Media for allowing me to do this episode. And for Don and Sally Wright, thank you for giving birth to me because, well, the, the world deserved it. Um, Bulavanaka. Today I'm bringing on a very good friend of mine, uh, the associate editor of the Libertarian Republic and the host of the Brian Nichols Show at the We Are Libertarians Network. Brian Nichols, thank you for coming on. Absolutely. Hey, it's good to see you, man. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited. Yeah, I'm definitely, definitely happy to have you on today. Um, do you have a good, uh, thank you for being the very first guest of 2019. Woo! <laughs> the the highest year in existence. Thank you, Trump. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, we were talking a little bit. We were talking a little bit before uh, the show. Do you have a? Uh, do you have a good New Year? Do you have a good Christmas? Do you have a holiday? Kwanzaa? Whatever. Uh, yeah, Christmas. Uh, a very good Christmas. Good. Um, went up to uh, my home home country in northern New York. I uh, got to uh, enjoy some of the snow. Actually, I had a white Christmas. It was nice. Uh, I'm from Philadelphia, so snow is actually uh, few and far, far in between, believe it or not. Uh, we're like in this area in Philly where 
it you you get a lot of rain, but it never gets cold enough to turn into snow. So uh, once in a blue moon, you'll get a nice snowstorm, and that's about it. Uh, so to actually get a nice white Christmas, lots of snow, it was very nice. And then for New Year's, uh, did nothing. And I got to tell you, it was absolutely phenomenal. Excellent. Well, yeah, I mean, I uh, for for Christmas, I, I sat at home and I watched uh, Gremlins and Die Hard. And then I went to a kava bar. And uh, <laughs> on New Year's, I went to a kava bar and we were, we, we were watching the... Uh, we were watching the ball drop on YouTube, which means you're watching it late anyway, because uh, <laughs> we all know it's on a delay. And it got to like 30 seconds before the ball was supposed to start dropping, and all of the feeds that we were watching just froze. And so we were like, okay, well. And so like I'm like looking at the second hand on my watch going, Okay, it's in about 10 seconds, and people start counting. I was like, wait, no, 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 wait, hang on. Okay, seven, six. <laughs> and that just was- take a Christmas ornament off and just like slowly drop the Christmas ornament down. <laughs> it's the best way to do it. Homemade, homemade New Year's. Right. So, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it, it was as lackluster as the holiday season possibly could get for me, which, <laughs> I, which I was totally fine with. Um, I, I just drank way too much kava over the course of that week, and now I'm regretting every one of those decisions. Um, so yeah, uh, you are the associate editor of the Libertarian Republic, which yes, sir. thank you so much for that because uh, you guys have published a couple of articles I've written, so I'm definitely a fan of that. There you go. Um, and how, how did you end up getting into that gig? It's funny, back in 2016, I was looking for an outlet for my political frustration and confusion because I looked at Trump and I'm like, no. Like, okay, rewind about me. I came from the Republican camp. So for me, I was always in the mindset of the Republican Party is the best means to promote my personal views. And my personal views at the time were libertarian, but I hadn't identified myself that I was libertarian yet. So I'm like looking around the the folks in the, the nomination. And I'm like, oh, I like Rand Paul. Rand Paul's a great. And I realize he's a libertarian. And I'm like, oh, I'm a libertarian. And I started to realize slowly but surely that Trump was going to win the nomination. Like this wasn't just the game show. It, it It's real life. And I'm like, well, what can I do to promote not only liberty, but try to find this avenue to get my libertarian frustration out and actually maybe make a difference and reach people that I otherwise wouldn't reach. So I actually reached out to um, Austin Peterson, who is the uh, the founder and uh, the the editor-in-chief, I think is his official title for the, uh, the Libertarian Republic. And uh, I said, hey, would, would you be open to uh, accepting new writers? And he said, absolutely. Send over some, some, uh, some samples. So uh, I sent him over some work that I'd done in the, the, the past. And uh, the rest is history. I, I joined on in uh, in 2016. Uh, I think it was actually in the summer of 2016, uh, right up through the thick of the election. And then um, after the fact, I did a, a quick little show, a uh, podcast show on the uh, the Liber- Libertarian Public Network called Around the Republic for uh, for a nice little bit there. And then I got the uh, the phone call from Chris Spangle um, at the We Are Libertarians Network, and he said, "Hey, like like I really appreciate the uh, the work you're doing over there, and I think." You know, we have a, a medium over here for you that, that could be, you know, something that would be a great opportunity for you to reach a new audience. And the reality, I mean, Austin has a great, uh, great medium for for journalism and for writing these, these ph- phenomenal articles over uh, TLR. But at We Are Libertarians, it's a really strong 
pod, podcasting audio medium. Nice. So for me, my background, um, especially back in college, I actually hosted a, a top 40 show uh, for, for my college uh, back uh, on the radio. And the the medium of of audio, of radio, of and then podcasting, I was like, this is my jam. This is this is exactly where my skill set lies. And uh, with that, in January of uh, twenty seventeen or uh, twenty eighteen, rather, I, I started the Brian Nichols Show on the We Are Libertarians Network. Uh, we just finished our first inaugural season. It was a fantastic year. Um, ended up with sixty two episodes total for the year. Oh wow, that's, uh, that's fantastic. Yeah. It was, it was a blast too. I mean, we we've had folks on from the show from yes, Austin Peterson, but also you know Jeffrey Tucker from the AIER, uh, Larry Sharp running for governor there in New York. Um, I had uh, Max Goker from AIER, uh, Steve Horowitz, economist from he's for me from up my neck of the woods at uh, Saint Lawrence University, um, and, and and all those in between. I mean, Adam Kokesh, uh, Michael Johns from the he was one of the original founding members of the the Real Tea Party back in 20, uh, 2010. Right. So a lot of a lot of phenomenal guests, and uh, did not take up too much time talking about me. Uh, but one thing for folks, if they're looking for a show that. It's not just libertarian or, or dare I say, even like just liberty. It's a show where I'll bring on people from all different political persuasions. I, I want my audience to be challenged. I want you to be able to sit down and listen to a conversation with someone who you probably agree with. And, and I'm more libertarian, but then somebody who you don't agree with, somebody who maybe is going to make you know, is going to challenge your ideals. So I had a, a gentleman who was running for New York state assembly up in the, uh, the Northern New York area. And he was running uh, on the democratic line as a democratic socialist and to have him on my show and to, to not only challenge him, but then to have him challenge me, I think it was a very productive conversation because I think you learn more about not only your own beliefs, but then you're able to understand the other side's beliefs better by listening to a true back and forth conversation, not a debate, a true conversation. I think that's the best way to learn what the other side believes. And if we're actually, so final point, if our goal is to promote liberty, to actually advance our ideals forward to changing hearts, changing minds, we have to be able to talk to people that aren't libertarian. We have to, we, and I know that sucks for a lot of people because they're like, well, the other people are statists. I don't want to talk to them. I'm like, all right, great. But we need to talk to them because if we're going to try and change people's minds, we have to start with those conversations that are uncomfortable. Right. And only then are we going to be able to actually you know, advance the libertarian message, which I think is supposed to be our goal. Right. Yeah, that's one of the things that, um, that I've talked about with a bunch of people. I had uh, Matthew Hurt from uh, the Grassroots Leadership Academy on mm-hmm. last week, and we were, we were discussing how to promote, the, uh, promote liberty and especially – push the dialogue along because one of the biggest issues that most libertarians have is they don't play well with others. Um, Ain't that the truth? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) we don't play well with each other and uh, you know, we just get into the stupid arguments over who's more libertarian, you know, me or you. And then the fight just carries on for no real reason. And we end up fighting about things that don't matter, but we have to understand that, yeah, we may know all the facts and all the figures, and we may know all the stats, but people don't. People they they understand emotion as opposed to logic. And yep. when you're getting into these arguments, if you're just throwing out numbers, yes, they see you as being callous, and they think that libertarians hate people. 
which mm -hmm. we don't. We want everybody to be able to succeed. It's just we don't know how to say it in the emotional realm of, I guess, how normal people <laughs> react to things. I mean, if, if I can, so one of the articles I wrote uh, just in the past month was actually an article about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Right. In my article, like it was titled stop making fun of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. One of the, like my, my top clicked articles I've ever written. And before people even clicked it before the point, they're like, Oh, she's a stupid socialist. She's a communist. We can make fun of her as much as we want. And I'm like, just, just read the article. Read the article. In the article, I, I laid out that argument. I was like, if you make fun of her, if you're going after her, the person, not her policies, not her principles, but her, you're doing exactly what she wants you to do. She wants you to make fun of her because what all it does is it emboldens her base because the reality is that the folks that are in the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez camp, not just in her district, but the quite literally hundreds of thousands of followers that she has on social media, they look at her as, yes, the democratic socialist second coming of Bernie Sanders. That's young, she's pretty, and she's going to be the future. But they also see a little bit of themselves in her. They see, you know, when, when she makes a gaffe, when she says, you know, the, the three chambers of Congress and then says it's, it's the House, the, the Senate, Senate, and the, and the president. president. Right. Like, like, okay, she made a gaffe. And you see conservative and, and, yes, even some libertarian media who just bring her to the woodshed. They're like, oh, look at what this – she's such an idiot. And it's like, oh, great. Because you know what? The person who looks at her, they see themselves in her like, oh, I could have made that gaffe. So like you making fun of her is kind of making fun of me. And it's the exact same thing that happened with the Trump, the Trump supporters. Like anytime you label Trump as you know a deplorable, well, you're labeling us all the basket of deplorables. And it, it creates this like tunnel vision of Trump say good things no matter what. And the, the inverse is true for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She says things and it's going to be true and it's good. We have to stop looking at the people that we disagree with as our enemy and we have to humanize them. I know that's weird to do, but only then can we start to actually reach the people that they're reaching to because people who vote for her and people who support her, they want to have their basic needs met. They look at her as the answer to, to fix their healthcare, to fix their education, to fix their wages. The difference with libertarians is that we have the same vision. We just do it in a different way. But then, like you said, we start talking about the numbers. We start talking about, well, if you uh, actually listen to uh, Ludwig, Ludwig von Mises about how we can, you know, economically take care of this through free market uh, policies, and we go blah, 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 <laughs> just they, they shut off. And it's like, at that point, we're just talking to, to white noise. They don't hear us. And, and quite frankly, they, they have no reason to hear us because we're not speaking to them. We're speaking at them, not to them. We're not getting to the heart of the issue. I think we have to find a way to better message libertarianism through that emotional appeal to say, hey, I get it. Your education for your kids, it's, it's terrible. Your health care is terrible. We want to fix it. But the, the difference is we think that government not only cannot fix it, but they're the ones making it worse. And here's what we're going to do to make things better. We're going to make you have the chance to have more opportunity to, to look and say, OK, if I want to get health care, I should be able to get health care from Maine. Or from Florida, if there's a better policy, that's for me. And I think once we're able to, to start speaking to people on that fundamental person-to-person -person human uh, basis, that's when we're actually going to see things start to, uh, to to transpire in a positive way. But right now, we're not doing that. And uh, I, I had Mark Clare from Lions of Liberty on my show. And we actually had this conversation about um, you have folks in the liberty movement 
um, who are in my, so rewind a little bit. My day job, I'm a communications consultant. I work for, in telecom. Okay. And uh, basically what I do is I meet with C-level executives to figure out what they need for their, their telecom stuff. And um, I don't know all the nitty gritty stuff that how it works like behind the scenes. I, I know enough to, 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 to be dangerous, but I, I can't go in and, and like do a, a Vizio to show exactly like their network solutions. So I bring in a systems engineer. Libertarians have a lot of system engineers. They know all the, the inner workings. They can tell you, you know, from, from Ludwig von Mises to Murray Rothbard to, uh, I mean, you go down the list of, of the, the different thinkers. They can list you any economic policy or principle that's going to fix the, the, the problem. The, the problem is we don't have a lot of sales guys. We don't have a lot of consultants out there who are trying to then promote that in an easy to di- digest way. And uh, <laughs> I think we get libertarians who try to, to system engineer out each other. Where it's like, well, I know libertarianism more. Watch this, and they go on this like you know big diatribe, of, like we said, trying to out libertarian the other person. Right. Yeah. Instead of selling the message, that's the whole point of this whole libertarian thing. We're trying to sell the message and then actually make substantive change in policy, but we're not doing that. Right. We we many libertarians they see, they see all the issues that are on the back end. Like they they could program a computer really well, but they could not sell one to somebody. No. That, that's that's the problem. Like we gotta stop this whole you know shop talk and like actually get out and sell. And this and this sounds a little crass, but if you're someone who's the systems engineer person, the person who's you know being able to talk about the nuts and bolts, stick in your lane. Like do that. Write think pieces. Like don't be the person trying to sell it. Let the people who are good at selling it sell it. You build up behind the scenes. You do the research. You do the, the, the articles that we can reference. Know your lane and don't get upset when somebody says, oh, you're not good at selling it. Like acknowledge there are other things you're good at. And that's, hell, that's like a whole thing about the, the free market. There are areas that people can use their skills better than somebody else. Like let it happen and you're going to actually advance things further. Right. Yeah, that is, uh, I mean, that. And we're in total agreement because that is the number one thing, the number one issue that I see with the way that libertarians communicate with other people. And I'm guilty. Like, I know I'm guilty of it. I understand that I'm guilty of it and I try to fix it. Um, but yeah, same, me too. <laughs> but I honestly, like when I, when I'm having a discussion about, when I'm having a discussion about something, you know, like healthcare, uh, you know, people are like, Oh, you want people to die. I'm like, well, no, I want people to be able to keep more of their own paychecks and be able to pick their own, you know, like, I, I can say all the numbers and I can say all that, but like when I try to, the, you want people to die? No, I want people to have that choice for themselves. They're like, well, what if they choose to die? Well, then they choose, I don't know, they choose to die. Uh, and people are like, see, you don't care about people. I'm like, no, I do. I want them to be able to make these choices on their mm-hmm. own. It shouldn't be up to the government. Yep. And that makes me a heartless, terrible, <laughs> awful person. Remzo Martinez says to play Freebird, which that's not happening. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Remzo. Rem- Leonard Skinner. Remzo, here's your Freebird. Uh, <laughs> Leonard Skinner has like three good songs. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's just the reality. Yeah. I'm, not big fa- I'm not a big fan of Leonard Skinner, no. No, not really. Not not, not a huge one. Sorry, Remzo. <laughs> um, but yeah, you just quick shout out to Remzo. You and I were both on his show, uh, what, last week? Two weeks ago? Two weeks ago? Two weeks ago. Yeah, two weeks ago. Two yeah. weeks ago. Um, so you guys should definitely go out and find that episode as well. Uh, we were talking about the weekly standard. RIP. RIP. RIP to the weekly standard. So crystal weeps. (laughs) He cries those lizard tears. Uh, (laughs) 
So uh, new Congress is now in effect. The Republicans no longer have control over the House of Representatives. And Nancy Pelosi got the gavel back. She sure did. She sure did. That uh, did not. She's like Michael Scott during the, uh, the the episode where they're doing the auction. She had her, <laughs> she had her gavel and she was so excited. You could see her. She was all she's like, "What's the line? It, it squeaks when you bang it. It That's squeaks when said. you bang it. <laughs> That's what she said." <laughs> Oh, for those of you joining along, that's that's the uh, the office poster that's on Angela's desk. Yep, it my go to. <laughs> he he also has a Dwight bobblehead there, just so everybody knows. Yeah, it's hiding in the corner. Yeah, it's there. I sh- I showed that earlier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't, don't question his office love. Um, because hey, it- I I won HQ Trivia's office trivia night. I was like one of I think it's like two thousand people who won. So I like won two dollars and fifty cents. Right, but did I won? But you won. Yeah. So proud of myself. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, a little bit of excitement happened on the floor today. Uh, Justin Amash voted for Thomas Massey and was booed. Um, (laughs) Washington in a nutshell. Right. Yeah. It's like, really? You're booing him for voting for Thomas Massey? Because, you know, if Justin Amash had voted for, for McCarthy, it definitely would have changed things. Yeah. That would have been that would have been the difference maker. McCarthy definitely had a shot of winning the Speaker of the House had Justin Amash only voted for him. No. It was like the faithless elector who voted for Ron Paul. It's like, oh yeah, that really would have made a big difference. Right, like, yeah. It was it was a vote on principle. Good for them. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Justin. Like, Justin said, no, they, these people suck. Right. Both of these, pe- <laughs> both of these people are awful, so... Yeah, I'm voting for the guy that I want to see as speaker. That's not myself. Because um, I th- kind of think Justin wants to be speaker. Uh, I think he wants to be president one day. I think he does want to be president, but I think he's going to have to get speaker first. But I don't think either one of those is going to work. Libertarians are hated. Like, we yeah. have to acknowledge we are hated. We are not there's liked. A, no. And there's a reason for it. Because we represent everything that the major two parties hate. Yeah. Like, less centralized government power. Less power for them as individuals, but also as parties. Like, they are terrified of us. And that's why they hate Ron Paul. That's why they hate Rand Paul. That's why they hate Amash and they hate Massey. And heck, to an extent, they hate people like Mike Lee or or Mark Meadows. Um, Ted Ted Cruz is Ted Cruz. Yeah, Ted, but, I mean, Ted, Ted Cruz is... He started out kind of strong and I had a lot of faith in it, but... Um... He's kind of turned into a bit of a dud on everything. Although his beard, I beard like, is on point. I like the beard. I like what the beard. article was it? It was like they're like, I hate to inform you, but Ted Cruz's beard kind of looks good. Yeah, I think they're that like, was like from like that was like from Slate or Vox or something like that. It was from something you would not have expected to say anything <laughs> nice about him. Um, I loved it on uh, on Festivus when Rand Paul said. If Ted Cruz had the beard, he may have done better in the presidential election because he looked less Canadian. And I thought <laughs> Beauty, that eh? was just hilarious. If Rand Paul was on the debate stage and was his festivist self, Rand Paul the president right now. Yeah. Like, you mm-hmm. have to out-reality star the reality star. And nobody did it. Like, if Rand was up there and just started unleashing like he does on, on Festivus, I, I am... 83% confident that he would be president right now. Yeah. But alas. But alas. Here we are. Yeah. Um, Donald Trump. We, you know, we got the Donald. And I will say that even though I don't agree with everything that the Donald says or does, 
He is the most entertaining president ever. Did you see the meme he posted today? No. Oh my God, it was gold. He posted a meme and it was from the Daily Wire and it said, Warren, 1-2020 for like her whole Native American thing. where she's He like, actually posted, okay, I saw somebody post that, but I thought it was a joke. <laughs> no, he posted it and I lost, I'm at the office, I get it. I'm like, the President of the United States just tweeted Warren, 1-2020th. Like, that is gold. That is gold. It, with the daily water, uh, the daily wire watermark and everything, right? But like, it—that's our president. What's going on? It's amazing. Like, I don't. It's like a car wreck. You can't look away, but you kind of want to because you know it's so bad in some respects, but it's still kind of like awe-inspiring because you're like, wow, this is happening. He, and it's it's amazingly terrifying. He took a. Could have been me. <laughs> Did you see that? <laughs> He had a cabinet meeting yesterday, and he brought he printed out a meme and he brought it in. The Game of Thrones, the Game the, of Thrones uh, meme. Sanctions are coming. Yeah, sanctions. Yeah, that's it. Sanctions are coming. And he did another one today. It was with the wall. It, it, like the exact same thing. And you know, again, as much as as much as I don't like the guy, and I don't think he's a great president, like he's entertaining as hell, and I love it. And the one okay, this is the one thing I I think a lot of people are trying to realize is that love him or hate him, like Trump is an expert marketer, not for like being able to like take a, a product and sell it, but like take a product or an issue or a policy and make people talk about it. Like he will say something completely outlandish about immigration. Like he'll be like like let's take for example the uh, the Mexico sending their not sending their best, they're sending their rapists and their murderers, blah blah blah, right? Right. That wasn't what he was talking about. Like he was trying to make people start to have the conversation about immigration. Like whether you you're pro immigration or you're more nationalist and you want to close the borders, that's not what I care about right now. But the fact that he's able to start people to have the conversation, that's the beauty of Trump. He's causing people to talk about issues they never would have talked about. Right. Like if we had Jeb Bush versus Hillary Clinton, It'd be a debate about like which country are we going to bomb first, and how much are we going to increase spending by? Is it going to be like a trillion dollars or like one point two trillion dollars? Trump completely turns things on its head and gets us talking about like we're talking about the Fed, the fact that we have a president that we're like talking about the Federal Reserve and them artificially inflating and and decreasing the the interest rates. Like that's like President Ron Paul. I'm sorry, like Trump is not. I, I, I was going to say, before you're going to need folks, to clarify that for this audience real before quick. Before the folks who are like, oh, are you trying to say that Donald Trump's a libertarian? No. Donald Trump is a 100% populist. That is who he is. The, the, the difference is that Trump becomes populist on certain libertarian issues. And he, I don't think he does it on purpose. It just kind of happens. He'll, like, he'll see something. Like he'll, credit where credit's due. Rand Paul has been in his ear. Oh yeah. Rand Rand Rand, Rand has talked to him so much this year. I, I think Rand is a big reason that we're pulling out of Syria, that we're halving the troops in Afghanistan, the reason for criminal justice reform. I'll yep. also throw Kanye a little bit of respect on that. Yep. Um because of those those issues right there, very much because of Rand. And the Fed, I a hundred percent believe is because of Rand as well. 
Yeah. I mean, and I mean, the last president that talked about the Fed so much was JFK. Yeah. So it didn't end so well. Right. But like, to to make sure I'm clear, Trump is not a libertarian. Right. By no stretch of the imagination. I don't want people to say it because like, I know there's a lot of groups out there who are basically saying like Trump is the libertarian president. He's not. He's not. Trump is a populist president. He'll take things that are popular or things that he's able to be persuaded on and make it his like core issue. But it just happens to be that some of those main things are libertarian principles. Like you said, criminal justice reform, pulling out of the, the wars in the Middle East. And then, but then, okay, Ben Shapiro time, like good Trump, bad Trump. There's a lot of bad Trump. Like when we, he, he signed the, uh, the bill to increase our spending when he was pushing for Trump care, um, the tariffs, I freaking hate the tariffs. Like that's one of the biggest terrible things that he's done. And like, I, I had Michael Johns on my show and we were talking about that and, and like he's all for the tariffs because it's like bringing jobs back to America. And I'm like, not really. It's actually like hurting a lot of jobs in America. And it's actually going to be hurting a lot of Americans. And lo and behold, behold, like here we are, January 2019. And we just took like a 650 point nosedive in in the uh, the stock market. Yep. And a lot of the futures are due to like a decrease in, in uh, I think it was a steel sales in America or, or something along those lines. I, re- I read it very quick. I was at the gym. I was on the stair and I was like scrolling through Twitter. I clicked on an article about it and I, I was like half reading the article, half listening to music. So forgive me if I got that wrong. But no, I mean, I, but yet like everybody was like, yeah, he gave us these tax cuts, which, you know, great. Love it. But then when you add the tariffs in on top of it, you're really just balancing it out. Like you're, you're, you're stealing from Peter to pay Paul at that point. And, and it happens to be that Peter at this point is the American taxpayer. Right. Like tariffs are taxes on the American populace. Like right. that's just, how it, that, that's how tariffs work. You're not taxing China. You're taxing Americans who are buying the Chinese product. Like, debate all you want whether we should buy Chinese products or not. Tariffs aren't the way to hurt China. You're hurting us. Right. You're, you are hurting every single American taxpayer by doing it because all of us have stuff from China. In this right. room alone, one, two, three, four, five. Like, pretty much everything in this room was made in China, I'm pretty certain. Like, yes. And if it was made in America, it would be like 15 times more expensive. Yes, which is why I get the stuff made in China. Exactly. Because it works just as well. And if you couldn't get that stuff in China, you wouldn't have the ability to do a lot of the things, things we're doing right now, number one. But number two, if you, if you did want to buy those things from America, you'd be broke because it would be so much more expensive. That's just, that's just economic reality. <laughs> right. Like, I know what happens. Like I'm, an app, like, I'm an Apple guy, whether or not you are, whatever. Uh, so I know that he actually makes it so my iPhone gets made here in America. I'm going to have to become an Android guy. That's okay. It's not. And <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. Everything in my house is Apple. Like, I, I would not know what to do. Um, but if... Uh, yeah, if he was like, no, you're gonna, you know, you're bringing, you're bringing the jobs here to America. You're gonna start building Apple here. I'd be like, good luck, man. I guess I'll, all right, I'll start getting the stuff from South Korea. I don't know, like I'll get Samsung. Or we're gonna get like a a, a black market, like it. Right. That's just that's what happens. Like I, this is the thing that I think for me is one of the biggest. Like I just don't get it. Things is how people cannot look at things like black markets when you make something illegal and just not understand that always happens because it always has happened. Like uh, one of the discussions that was around the dinner table uh, during Christmas was 
talking about like legalizing marijuana. And it just like, I, I brought pro prohibition. I was like, what happened during prohibition? Like there was a big black market yeah. right now. Marijuana is technically illegal. Do people still smoke it? Yep. Yes. Like that's just an economic reality. Like that is what happens because if there's a demand for something, there's going to be somebody who's going to find a way to supply it because they can make money. Right. Like that, that just happens. And per personal theory, cause I don't, there may be a way to prove this, but I'm not a hundred percent sure if there is personal theory, the people who are going to be, we'll, we'll stick with, let, we'll stick with just drugs in general since, uh, you know, like cocaine and heroin, all that they're, they're all legal. If you legalize those, the people who are going to do cocaine and heroin are the same people who are doing cocaine and heroin today. The people who aren't going to use it, it being legal or illegal or not, doesn't make a difference. They're not going to use it. The people, and just legal or not, the people who are going to use it, they're going to use it. You're just turning them into a criminal by making it illegal. Correct. And you actually make it more dangerous for them to use it. Right. Um, I because mean, for example, you get the fentanyl. Exactly. Look what's happening right now with the opioid epidemic. Like people get on opioids and then they look for the alternative. When they do, they go to heroin and they're, they're getting heroin. That's it's much more potent. Um, they're, they're getting heroin that if they were to inject and they were looking to get off of heroin, um, it makes it much more difficult because of the stigma. Number one, but number two, they're afraid that they're going to get arrested. Um, we, we, let's go to marijuana. I mean, marijuana can be laced if you're not getting it from a proper dealer yep. because, again, you're, you're not able to figure out openly where, where it's coming from. I mean, sure, you can ask a dealer and they'll tell you, oh, yeah, it's, it's great. Buy it from me. But, like, you have no way to, to third-party validate that. Right. It, that's, it's it's going to be great. Don't worry about it. If you feel a weird buzz, that's definitely not PCP. <laughs> you're supposed to feel that you're way. You're supposed to feel that way. Marijuana. Right. Which I, I did one time purchase weed that was laced with PCP, and that was a really interesting night. And the next couple, because, I mean, I wasn't throwing it away. Uh, <laughs> spent good money on that. I on. did spend good money on it, and you know what? I was going to use it. Um, but, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, people don't seem to understand that every time that you ban something, you create a black market for it. Anytime that you create a law, all you're really doing is creating a criminal because the people are still going to do it. Yeah. I mean, we see, so that's the thing I try to, I, one of my tactics I try to do is to relate something that somebody cannot understand to something they can't understand. So for example, New York state, New York safe act, which was basically Andrew Cuomo signing a law that made millions of legal gun owners in New York state criminals overnight by signing a law that made it so you could no longer have, I think it was a capacity magazine over nine rounds, I believe. Um, So all of a sudden you have a bunch of citizens within New York state who literally overnight became criminals. Are they any more criminal than they were the day before? Right. No. And, and I, I try to make it so people who are like rah, rah GOP can then apply that same logic to, to marijuana um, or, or alcohol. Like if tomorrow we reenacted prohibition just because you had a beer in your fridge, are you now a criminal? And, and well, no, that's different. Why is it different? 88,000 people per year die in alcohol-related deaths. Like, that's a, a, a verifiable fact. And how many people die from marijuana? Like, two? No, none. I, was say, like, I, I would guess, like, maybe they die from, from eating too many hamburgers stoned, and they, like, <laughs> just, like, choke on it. I don't know. Like, 
there is nothing to show that that causes people to die. But like we have that illegal and then we create this whole narrative around it of why it's illegal and the stigma associated with it instead of like objectively saying, "Eh, why is this really illegal? Why why are we doing this? Right. Yeah. And I, you know, I get into the uh, prohibition argument all the time. Um, And because I come like, like I was saying before, uh, I think before the show started, uh, I come from like a neocon household where mm-hmm. everybody in my family is pretty much a neocon. You know, the government's there to protect us. And then there's one outlier who's not me, who is the government's there to pay for everything except for war. Um, and so unless it's Syria, <laughs> unless, unless it's Syria, which is weird. Cause, cause Trump, because Trump, um, because yeah, we should definitely be paying for Syria because I care about the Kurds now that I didn't care four years ago um i don't know two years ago ago. ago. yeah last year uh last year i was like we need to get out of there oh wait he's doing it no never mind Mm -mm. Um, trump bad but yeah orange man bad damn it orange (laughs) orange cheeto guy awful um (laughs) but you know we get into the uh we get into the prohibition argument pretty often i'm like the people who are going to use drugs are going to use drugs why make them a criminal why not instead let them use it and then instead of spending the money that we're spending on trying to get them, you know, arrested and put them in jail and incarcerate them, uh, ruining their life forever. Instead focus that money, which I'm not even a hundred percent on this one, but I use it for my argument with them and use that toward, you know, getting them into rehab programs and health, you know, like getting them treatment, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel that that would be cheaper and I feel as though that would be, you know, a lot better served than letting these people ruin their lives or not letting these people ruining these people's lives because the way that they wind down was by taking heroin as opposed to drinking. And, and I said, you know, everybody in my family with the exception of me, everybody in my family drinks. Like I quit drinking four and a half years ago. And I said, if they were to ban alcohol, would you be okay with it? And people in my family have said, well, I think it'd probably be the healthier option for me. I said, so make the option. You don't need the government to tell you that. I didn't. I quit drinking because I knew it was the healthier option. I was going to die. I knew that I had to stop. So I, some people just need the government in order to protect, like they think they need the government in order to protect them. That's the only way that they see it. Isn't that sad? It is. Like that that people actually will go into that mindset of like, I need a a an overarching body that has the ability to use force on me to stop me from doing things to myself that could be considered like damaging or right. harmful. Like to have that mindset in life, like that that's that's pretty it's pretty eye opening, but also it's really sad. Yes, the fact that there are people out there who legitimately believe that they need government to not only fix themselves but then to fix other people. Right. Like there are people I know personally who are raging lefties and I, I love them, their family, but they legitimately have said to me, like, I would be a libertarian except people are stupid. I was like, what? They're like, I don't trust your average person. They need to be told what to do. And I'm like, do you know how, how freaking like authoritarian and, and fascistic that sounds like you don't believe that your your neighbor is able to live their life as they see fit unless you have government there to stop them from doing x right like that is insane 
I uh, so I got into a you know the the holiday argument with a family member and and I love I'm, how we're being so PC about the family members. The family members. <laughs> uh, I got into a holiday argument with the family members, and this family member said, uh, "We were talking about speed limits." We uh, and I was saying I don't think that we should have speed limits because you know all you're doing there is fundraising. Technically the real crime happens when you hit somebody, which you can do that at any speed. And so you really don't need the speed limits and it would, people would just sort of culturally not speed doing 65 or 70 miles an hour in a neighborhood. Like that would just sort of happen naturally. Um, and he goes, and he said, I think I just see the best in people and you see the worst. And, my response, which I won't say, was not the correct one. Um, what I should have said was, I think that I see the best in people who aren't in power, and I see the worst in people who are, and you're the opposite. That would have probably been the right response. Um, but yeah. The, I can see, yeah, I can see the argument. Yeah. And the answer that I gave was a much more personal attack, and it didn't end well. But... Uh, <laughs> Like, well, and, and then it goes into a whole other conversation about, you know, externalities, um, you know, drinking and driving. Should it be illegal? It, I am libertarian, but I am not to the point that I would say that drinking and driving should be legal for the sole fact that at that point in time, since you are impaired, that like the only negative really or the only positive that can come from that is that you get from point A to point B safely. But it's much more likely that you are going to hurt somebody because of your impaired ability. So, okay, I'm going to disagree with you on that because it's not more likely that you're going to hurt somebody because on average, somebody will drive impaired 500 times before getting their first DUI. Is that so? Uh, according to the DUI class I took. Um, wow. That, you know, he said, on average, that's, it's 500 <laughs> times before somebody gets their first DUI. And he goes, how many of you did worse than that? And how many of you did better than that? And I raised my hand for better. And he goes, how many times did you drive drunk before you got, your, before you got pulled over for your DUI? And I said, okay, well, let me think. That'll be like two or three times a day for the last 10 years. So whatever that equals out to be, I don't really know. And he was just like, oh, uh, yeah. Cause I used to hmm. drink a lot. Um, right. But um, yeah. So more often than not, you are going to make it from point A to point B safely. It's on the times that you don't make it safely that you are probably not going to get as injured as the person that you hit. Mm -hmm. Because when you're driving impaired, you're already at a relaxed state. When you get, when you get into that accident, your body doesn't tense up. So you don't yep. actually get as hurt as the person who does. So, everyone should drive drunk. No, I wouldn't. I would. Yeah, I was, I was like, <laughs> I mean, that would mean I have to start drinking again, and I really kind of <laughs> like this run I'm on. Uh, Kid, kids, don't don't drive drunk. Don't drive drunk. It's, we here at the muddy. We here at Muddied Waters Media do not condone the driving impaired of any sort. Um, so please don't drive drunk kids. Heck your host doesn't even drink. Come on. Right. Don't, don't do drugs kids. Yeah, Stay the, in school. The co-host of uh, muddied waters of freedom. He, he doesn't do anything either. Like he and I are like completely sober. Um, but we could, we also feel that you should have the right to do whatever you want. Um, do whatever drugs you want kids. Um, <laughs> just don't get caught. Uh, <laughs> 
can't believe I said that. Anyway, um, <laughs> love li- love going live. Um, or party. <laughs> right. So speaking of drinking. All right. Um, Elizabeth Warren. Uh, our, 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 uh, our, our wonderful Native American U.S. senator. That's right. From the great state of Massachusetts. From the great state of Massachusetts. Uh, Elizabeth Warren came out with an Instagram video yesterday, which uh, if you were to look up pandering in the dictionary, I think this video is what plays because God, that was some forced crap right there. Um, So bad. (laughs) It was so so bad. bad. Every year we watch Casablanca together and Oh, I think I'm going to have a beer. Oh, look everybody. Do you want a beer? beer? No. And then he (laughs) hits her on the butt and she has this so look. Bad. She has this look of I can't believe you just did that, and keeps going. Oh, you enjoy your beer, like nobody, nobody in the history of the world has said that sentence in that way. No, and that's that's what makes Alexandria Ocasio Cortez so relatable. That she's relatable. She's real. Like when she does her little cooking with AOC, like live streams, people watch it because like it's like I'm watching it with my friend. Elizabeth Warren just feels like a robot. She is the second coming of Hillary Clinton. Yes. 100%. And, yeah, and like the fact that the Democrats have not realized this, like you are supporting someone who literally will get destroyed by Trump because she is Hillary 2.0. And he's going to use the exact same tactics against her as he did against Hillary. And guess what? Those tactics work because he was able to, well, it's not so much that he was able to, to frame Hillary Clinton as a terrible human being. She kind of did it on her own. Right. He just helped it along. And uh, I think with the whole, you know, he Elizabeth just kept, Warren, he just kept like pushing the button. Like, yeah. And she the did whole it. Elizabeth but then Warren thing just... with the whole, uh, the, the native American gene thing. Oh God. Like, that... I think that that will kill her with the intersectionality left. Like if you get someone who really wants to like make that a point in a democratic debate, like good Lord. And if she gets past it, you know, damn well, Trump's going to, I, I can almost guarantee that he would call her Pocahontas at any chance he could just yes. because he's Trump. Like, what are you going to do? Right. He, <laughs> I, without a doubt, if she made it to, to the general, which I don't think she makes it past the primary personally, uh, but if she does make it to the general and in those debates, he, would not, he may refer to her as Senator Pocahontas, but yeah. that, is, that is the best she's going to get. Like, she will be referred to as Pocahontas every time, and he's going to bring up the one in 1,024th Native American that she is, and yet somehow she ended up getting a job because of her Native American history. Right. Okay, I'm just curious, too. Who do you think, um, who do you think would beat her? I'm just curious to see like, what your thoughts are for the DNC so, going into uh, 2020. Uh, right now, I'm looking at the killer bees, as I'm calling them. Uh, Bernie, Beto, mm-hmm. and Biden. Oh, I like the killer bees. Okay, yeah, I could definitely see that. Yeah, the the killer bees is kind of what I'm looking at on that. Um, and I think Biden is where I'm leaning right now, even though um, the guy from Maryland, what's his name? Martin O'Malley? Yeah, O'Malley just endorsed uh, Beto. Yep. Um, but uh, I think that Biden, Tulsi Gabbard is my guess Ooh. for... That's my guess for the ticket right now. I, I, I like Tulsi. I do. I like Tulsi, but I like, think that's why they bring her in. Yeah. Because they know she's people genuine. like us. Yeah. She, yeah. She, she, she's young. She's young. She's a female. She's of, I'm not really sure what nationality she is. She's a vet. 
Yep. She's an anti-war vet. Mm-hmm. Like she uh she checks so many boxes that could be enough to get a lot of the independents to swing back to the Democrats. I have a sneaky suspicion though that it's going to get down to a final two of Biden and B- uh Beto Beto and I think Biden will pull it out but he'll make Beto his number 2. You think? I I just had the sneaky suspicion because Biden has the old man grumpy factor but with a with a hint of crazy uncle joe to him that i think a lot of people more of that like middle america blue collar worker can empathize with and they can relate to right um and then beto beto brings in the robert let's call him robert robert yes robert o'rourke uh he he brings in that that more uh, Hollywood elitist um, type of folks. Right. M- much in the same vein as an Obama 08. Uh, I, I just got the sneaky suspicion it's going to be those two. And I, get, I can't. I, it's just, it's, something's nagging. I'm like, that's going to be it. It's going to be Trump Pence versus Biden Beto. Robert. Robert. A worker. <laughs> yeah. Or, but, um, I could, so I can see that, but I think that the Democrats have gone so ultra progressive in their minds that they need to put up somebody who is female or not white. I think that they want that on the ticket. Yeah. They want it on the ticket and they don't want to. Do white they know? Do, do you, like, honestly, do you think that the Democrats have gotten, gotten so far into the intersectional like arena that the people like a Claire McCaskill or or Biden, like they're going to fade out. Genuinely, well, I'm not sure of the answer. Not Claire McCaskill. No, she's a woman. But she lost, and like she she tried to do the whole, you know, I I don't like where the Democratic Party's going. I don't know why AOC's a thing when she left, and I think that resonated with a lot of people. But Alexandria Ocasio Cortez represents the future, right? And so, like, I think we're at that point where it's like. 50-50. Like you have half the Democratic Party who wants to be the the new AOC wing right. or like they're the recovering Bernie bros who are like trying to fill that void or you have or well not or and then conversely you have the other half who are like the the holdovers from the Hillary Clinton Joe Biden camp who are like they're still like the boomers essentially like the the, right. the older Gen X boomer crowd is still in that moderate-ish Democratic. I mean, even to be a moderate Democrat nowadays is is rare, but they're in that more moderate camp where like bipartisanship is is still not, it's, it's not a dirty word. It's actually like something they promote, but I don't think they really promote it. Right. They promote it in lip service, but that's about it. Yeah, I mean, yes, I think that the Democratic Party is beginning to get to the point where they just, they're tired of, they think that their base is tired of just the typical old white man candidate. Mm-hmm. And they were shocked that the old white woman didn't lose to the old white man. Um, or rather did lose. Or yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah. They were, they were shocked that she did lose. Um, and I think that they were pissed off about it and they were bitter about it. And they have, but they, instead of them saying, well, maybe we just need to put up the best candidate. They are going to look for the candidate that checks off the most amount of boxes. Yeah, I can see that. And I, do, I still think it's going to be Biden, the old white guy, but I think he's going to get the VP that's going to check off everything. And as much as Robert O'Rourke wants to call himself Beto to make him sound Hispanic, he's Irish. His last yes. name's O'Rourke. 
This is a legitimate question, and I should know the answer, but I don't. Is there an age limit to VP nominees? Same as president. It is? Okay. I was like, could you imagine if he nominated AOC? Oh, my God. That would that would be like the, the icing in the cake. But I know there's a whole article pushed on Vox trying to get her to run for president and then make the Supreme Court say she can't do it. Mm-hmm. But, like... I I wasn't I I couldn't remember if there was the uh, the age limit so okay never mind there, yeah. goes, my, there goes away my fun situation that I right because because in case Biden uh you know dies in this first thirty days in office she then wouldn't be old enough to be president so mm, okay what oh man here's a here's a uh, constitutional question for you okay what if hear me out what if by some miraculous thing earlier today Alexander Ocasio Cortez ran for speaker. And then Biden and Beto are flying back in 2020 in a, and they get in a horrible accident. And then the speaker of the house has become president. Could she do it? This is completely hypothetical. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I was going to say it's completely hypothetical. I would, I don't know. I don't know. I honestly, <laughs> I, I don't think that they ever put a provision in for, well, if the speaker of the house happens to be under 36 years old, yeah, <laughs> That's actually a question I want to ask my, uh, so I went to college for political science. Um, great, great major. Um, being all serious, honestly, all seriousness. I love the major. I, I okay. learned so much. Cause <laughs> I, I minored in political science. I, I majored in communication and I was like, man, I, I, I can't find a job doing anything right now. <laughs> like this honestly, is what I, I do. It. I love it for the sole fact that like I was able to learn so much more about the nitty gritty stuff, like public policy, constitutional law, um, ideology like philosophy like john stuart mill was literally my first step into libertarianism with the harm principle i was like you can swing your fist so long as you don't hit the other person's face i can get behind that and that like started the whole triggering in my mind of becoming a libertarian but right my uh, my political science professor uh great guy super liberal like one of the top democratic party people in new york state but like one of the most like objective people I've ever met in my life. And would he, he would talk to, at the time I was a very you know rabid Republican and he would talk to me and gr- he would grade my papers and, and all my, my projects completely objectively, no bias whatsoever. So I have a great relationship with him still. I, I actually, I, I want to ask him because in constitutional law, we never discussed that. So I'd be curious because we always play these hypothetical games of like, well, what would happen here? That was never, never a question asked. So now I got I got to ask him because I'm I'm really curious about the answer. Yeah, that's I I mean, and that's actually something I have never once thought about. Um, there you go. So from the Money Waters uh, uh, Money Waters podcast here, that's something that we're we're discussing, <laughs> and it's never been discussed before. This is groundbreaking Gra- stuff. Groundbreaking groundbreaking news questions being asked. Alert Alert Heritage and, and the Cato Institute and and. I don't know what the left wing version of them. Can't think of the top of my head. <laughs> yeah, something uh, democracy uh, now or some yes. <laughs> Alert now this or move on. Touch. Move on. Get, little, org. get like a two minute video clip on us doing this. Right. <laughs> like somber music in the background. Look at these racist bashes talking about a pretty brown girl. Like easily see that happen. I will. That's how they always do everything. I will say that. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was uh, much better looking when she was Sandy uh, and dancing around Boston College. Boston <laughs> College, Boston University, Boston College. She went to Boston College. Yeah. And for reference, you're referring to the video that came out today that somebody thought that they were going to be like as a gotcha for her. They're like, oh, look at Alexandria Sandy Ocasio-Cortez back when she was in college. Right. Like, this is your your queen. It's like, what are you doing? Right, you're just... actually like making her more relatable. Yeah. <laughs> 
you made her appear like she can have fun. You made it look what? like she's, I know you made it look like she's like, she's smiling all the time in that entire two and a half minute or three minute, however long that song is. I don't know. In that entire video, uh, she didn't say anything stupid. Her dance moves weren't great, but she didn't say anything stupid. So you just made her completely relatable to everybody. Yeah. Because I mean, who doesn't look stupid when they dance? Right. I don't I mean, care if you're professional or not. Everybody looks stupid when they dance. Yes. I would, I would, I would tend to agree with that. Yeah. I get uncomfortable watching people dance. Right. Number one, I can't do it. And I'm like, how are you doing that? But number two, like, why are you doing that? Right. Why would, I don't get it. Why would you do that? That makes no sense. I went, I went to go see interpretive dance in, in Philly and I was so uncomfortable. I was like, what is happening right now? Why are they doing, like, why are they just laying on the floor not moving? What's going on? But it was art. Like, I went to the Philly Art Museum and, like, the modern art section. I'm like, that is a blue dot. Yeah. It's a blue dot. I I can be an artist. Let me do this. Give me a canvas and a stick and I'll slap blood nut and put it in the art museum and make $5 million. We went to a, I was up in Philly earlier this year. Uh, I went to a Red Sox Phillies, Red Sox Phillies game. Mm-hmm. Um, and the next day, my nephew and I went to a museum in Philly and I don't remember the name of the museum, uh, but they had Mood- a Museum? Which one? There's all the dead bodies and stuff. It wasn't that one. We did that one a oh. couple of years ago. Uh, mm. But they had a video game uh, touring section, and it was like every, like pretty much every video game from 1980 till today. Oh, oh, oh! I know what you're talking about. Um, it had a huge statue in the front. I think of Ben. Franklin. Yeah, because they, they do. Um, they do rotate. I can't. The name's escaping me. They ro- do rotations of like different exhibits. Yeah. So they had that. They had one. It was like uh, I think it was Jurassic Park theme or something like that. Like about dinosaurs. I know. I know exactly what you're talking about. I just can't think of the name. Great of museum. Like we ended up. He he yeah. likes baseball, so we ended up in the sports section after we did the video game section for a while, and uh, we ended up in that section. And it was you, Franklin Institute. Yes. Yeah, yeah Franklin, Franklin Institute. Institute. Yeah. And, uh, like you threw a pitch and then it would tell you, like, it would show you all the different levels of the pitch. Like you were yeah, watching cool. yourself on ESPN and I was like, that's so cool. This is awesome. Like I could do this all day long. Well, so they had the NFL draft here in Philly back in 2016, 2016, 2017, 2017. And, um, it was on the parkway. Uh, and one of the exhibits was a 40 yard dash so they had the the forty yards laid out in turf, and then alongside it was a forty foot long like HD TV or forty yard long excuse me HD TV. And what you would do is you would race against an NFL player who would be projected on the, the TVs. So you're literally doing a forty yard dash against like an NFL athlete to show you how actually slow you are in real life compared to these NFL superstars. Right, because that's what we all need. <laughs> yeah, well, we need. I think we need to be humbled because you have like the armchair quarterbacks who are like. If I was in the NFL, I would have caught that ball. It's like, no, you wouldn't. Have, no, you Bob. wouldn't. <laughs> like, sit, sit in your sit in your chair and smoke your pipe. Yeah. Do you, Do you know how I know that, Bob? Because you're sitting in your chair smoking your pipe right now and not playing in the NFL. And you're 65, Bob. You right. have one leg. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> you You get excited by loud noises. You would not be. You would not do well in the. The, the uh, wheel of fortune comes on, and like that's the highlight of your day. Right. When you give him a day when Price is Right is on, like that's he won the Super Bowl. Right when there. you answer more than one question correct on Jeopardy, you are uh, just beaming with glory. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that is pretty much all the time we have. So again, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, if you want to hang out for a couple yeah. of minutes afterwards, and uh, we'll like 
do some like last minute close up catch up kind of stuff yeah absolutely cool um to everybody else oh do you have anything you want to pitch by the way um i mean nothing in particular to pitch besides hey guys if 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 what i said today didn't make you want to vomit then please go to my show and and give us a, a like and review there over on itunes it's the brian nichols show very original name uh you can find it anywhere podcasts are found uh Basically what we do, weekly shows, um, I'll have guests on from all political persuasions, from your, your far left socialists to you know, your rabid right wing anarchists and caps. I've had Adam Kokesh on. I've had Democratic socialists on, like all those in between. So if you're looking for a conversation that's going to be engaging. So as my, my podcast slogan is to educate, enlighten and inform. If you want all three of those things, go ahead. Uh, find me at the Brian Nichols show. Or if you want to see my snarky Twitter at B Nichols Liberty. Um, also, my Patreon at Dean Goes Liberty. Love the support. Uh, yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, I'm definitely glad that uh, we were able to make this work. And uh, and yeah. you, sir, will be on my show in the very near future. I, and, you know, I look forward to it. Um, <laughs> to everybody else, remember, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash muddied waters forward slash backslash forward slash forward slash muddied waters of freedom slash slash yeah, slash <laughs> uh, on Twitter at muddied underscore waters on Instagram at muddied waters of freedom. And you can find this in every other episode at muddied waters of freedom.com as well as every single podcasting app minus Spotify. Um, please don't look for me on Spotify. No Spotify. No Spotify. Um, <laughs> now everybody get back to writing because as we all know, writing is the easiest way to make a difference. It's true. <laughs> Dwight Schrute, it's true. I hate this fucking song. I hate this song so much, but I can't let it go. And I'm just going to record it. I'm going to record it and just hope that that exercises it from my brain because I, I swear to God, my brain just won't stop taking away on this fucking song. Get, uh, get on with it. Fucking get on with it. <sighs> I... I am swinging from a seven-story window Throwing parties in a ten-by-seven cell It's astounding the legs I'll go To convince the whole damn world I don't need anybody's help Yeah, I am waving while I drown Don't bother swimming out to save me I will only drag you down I'll try to use your body as a life raft if there's room enough for one, there must be room enough for two. I'll sail the good ship you into the sunset. Sipping on savory waters till my liver turns blue.